Hi, this is Adam. Just a quick note about this episode. We recorded this in early April. We are releasing it in mid-June. There's been a bit of a backlog getting this stuff out the door. But I mention this because we talk about some of the specific circumstances around the quarantine and lockdown in the San Francisco Bay Area, the severity of it, the restrictions, and those have since changed. So it could be a bit confusing if you'd assume that it was recorded recently. So with that, uh, please enjoy, hopefully, not therapy. I'm Adam Strauss. And I'm Jordan Iper, MD. And this is not therapy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much therapy. It's not therapy, man. Okay. Um, well, I want to just get right back into it yeah. where we left off because I'm going to be speaking with Clara in a few hours and I have some decisions to make. The rubber is meeting the road. Is, is, is that one of your psychiatry expressions yeah i came up with that actually i put it we're gonna put it on a little instagram instagram Our coffee table book yeah. <laughs> look within for the answers this is the the road. yeah but but it is i suppose i'm certainly feeling some anxiety about these decisions and well yeah let me start with a quick recap clara and i met in january in new york she was visiting it was a very strong connection immediately she came back to visit in february we had a wonderful time and we were looking forward to being in the san francisco area together from march till june i was supposed to be out here doing shows ordinarily i live in new york those shows were canceled clara and i decided that we wanted to quarantine together so i came out for that purpose and after five days with me she decided that she would rather brave the worst pandemic in a century than spend any more time with yours truly. And I didn't take it personally at all. So <laughs> breezed right through it, breezed right through it. So no, it, it hit me hard. And, and also that visit, that quarantine experience, even before she left was very different from our previous visits. Our previous visits were just easy and fun and deep and intense, but the real joy of connecting with someone and this one, she felt distant. She felt rejecting is probably not fair, but it felt like a rejection to me. And so when she left, she didn't leave specifically because of the relationship. A lot of it came down to her wanting to just be with her parents. And I can understand that. But in the aftermath of her leaving, as we discussed last week, initially I, I felt... It raised a lot of concerns, the way the visit had unfolded, plus her leaving. And those concerns initially for me were things like, wow, she really didn't consider. It doesn't, doesn't seem like she's that considerate. It feels like she kind of just did what she wanted when she wanted to leave. She just left with no real concern about how that was going to affect me. I also had concerns over her decision to see this other guy she's involved with, Jason, while she was here. It was a short, she just went exercising with him. She went for a run, but it came at a time when I was feeling particularly vulnerable and it felt that was hurtful. And while she was still here, it felt like we moved past that. But once she left, that concern came roaring back. And so in the days immediately after she left, I was feeling like, yeah, I don't really know about this relationship. I don't know if this is um, salvageable. I don't know if I want to salvage this. 
But as I sat with that, my feelings started shifting to actually, it's really understandable. I mean, this is a pandemic. She was scared. She wanted the comfort and safety of being with her parents. I can't fault her for that. And the thing with Jason, I, I, I can, can't really fault her for that either. So it's okay. And as then that moved to not only is it okay, she actually did not only what was best for her, but almost certainly what was best for the relationship and was best for me because she had kept saying while she was here, she doesn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. One of her concerns was that a relationship which showed every indication of being able to thrive beautifully under normal circumstances was going to be mortally wounded in the context of this pandemic where we're locked down together, where there's a lot of anxiety floating about in the ether, where the excitement we both felt in our independent lives, all the projects and work we had going on for both of us, she's also an artist, that was now off the table. So both of us being forced to spend every waking moment together at a time of generalized fear and us being cut off from a lot of the creative projects that nurture us seemed like a recipe for failure. That was her concern, the baby of our relationship being thrown out with the bathwater of the pandemic. And I felt like, yeah, as I, ca I came around to this feeling of, she's right, this was the best thing to do. And I knew I wanted to process more and have more not therapy sessions about this with you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> but when I reached this conclusion, I also felt like I should reach out to her and tell her this because we had left off with me saying, hey, give me some time. And it had by this point been a week and a half since I'd talked to her. And I could imagine her being very concerned that, wow, maybe things aren't salvageable. Maybe Adam isn't going to give me another chance. And I've always had this very strong desire to, to not see her in any sort of pain. And so I reached out to her and we had a call. We call them rectangles because it's when rectangle Clara is connecting to rectangle Adam as opposed to real Adam and real Clara. And we're very leery of too much rectangle time. <laughs> That's cute. You guys have your little lingo. Yeah, we, we have a lot of that. And I have to, I think rectangle was me, but I have to give her credit. She is a pretty brilliant writer. Just her texts are like poetic and authentic and it's intimidating sometimes the way she expresses herself. <laughs> so we had a rectangle and, and I said to her, you know, I still want to process more. I want to at some point talk more about how things unfolded during this quarantine visit and what we can learn from that. But I, I want to sit with that more on my own. Really what I want to say now is the baby is viable. I don't think the baby is, <laughs> the baby is, in fact, I said, I, I think the baby probably has a better chance of survival because at that point I was feeling real appreciation for how she was connected to her intuition, how she trusted herself and how she ultimately did what I think was the best thing for all involved. And she was clearly very happy to hear that. And we chatted for like an hour and a half and it was a very pleasant conversation we didn't get too much into a debrief, though some things did emerge, but not too much. Then we spoke again a few days after that, and she said that she wants to come back. Actually, that first conversation, she'd thrown out the possibility, and I was open to it. But I thought what she was talking about then was just, you know, maybe come back for a few days and then go back to her parents. But when we spoke last, she's actually, she wants to come back indefinitely, meaning that 
the expectation isn't that we would stay together for as long as this quarantine lasts, but we'd kind of play it by ear, Mm -hmm. take it day by day. Mm -hmm. And when she said this, I felt conflicted. I felt happy, certainly, but there was also immediately some fear there. And so I tried to talk through some of those fears with her and some of the things. And so what she was saying is by approaching it this way, where she comes back, but you know, we can pull the plug on that and she can go back to her parents or more likely go to her apartment in San Francisco. As soon as we feel like that's the best thing, she was looking at it as kind of like, we get to be with each other, but we're not risking our baby again. We're not going to put our baby in jeopardy. But when she said this, I felt like, actually, let's not underestimate the fact that the stakes are, there are still stakes here because whatever we experience, if she comes back, whether it's for a few days or a few weeks, you can't unexperience that. Whatever we see in each other, however we interact, that is going to inform our views of ourselves, of, of each other. And it certainly seems plausible to imagine that we could see things that ordinarily wouldn't have come to light under regular circumstances that may feel like, wow, this relationship, even once the pandemic ends, even once quarantine lifts, this relationship is not really what we want. And I elaborated on that with her by explaining that when I met her was kind of the best time of my life. And this was just January. This was just a couple of months ago. But I would say in general, my life has gotten better and better as I've gained more and more freedom from the OCD and as my career has moved in a direction that I've found gratifying. But the last six months and especially the last three months, it felt like everything was just clicking professionally, creatively, I felt like I was doing things on stage that I've never done before in stand-up, was finding new ways to express myself with the storytelling, was having things happen in terms of career, in terms of, um, yeah, potentially life-changing career things that were in development. And with relationships with women, in the last few months, I've met more women who I'm genuinely interested in and excited about than I've probably met in the last few years. So all of that combined made me feel secure, confident, happy, excited for the future. And that was the context for me getting to know Clara. And I think it enabled me to approach it in a very with an orientation less of wanting a certain outcome and more of curiosity and openness. I felt like I'm very, very excited about this woman, possibly more excited than I've been about any woman in more than a decade. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like I needed it. I felt like if this continues to deepen and flourish, wonderful. But if it doesn't, well, I mean, this is maybe a crass way of putting it, but there's a lot of other women who want to hang out with me right now who I'm actually interested in. I have other options on the table and I was pursuing some of those options. This is an open relationship with Clara. So I was seeing some of these other women, though none of them frankly compared to her. They were all, they all uh, fell far short in terms of just the depth of connection and the ease of connection and the joy I get from talking and connecting with Clara in every way. But there was this sense of, I felt desired by women and to a degree I never have before. 
and I felt like everything in my life is going well. I remember saying to Clara just a few weeks before the pandemic hit, I was like, everything is going so well. I just keep telling myself, don't get hit by a bus. <laughs> that's your, it's like, that's your only job right now is just don't get hit by a bus because yeah. everything is going perfectly. As long as you don't hit, get hit by a bus, you're golden, man. Yeah. And then we all got hit by the pandemic bus. <laughs> that, um, that statement brings to mind for me. I think it was the last episode we were talking a little bit about the Jewish psyche and the Jewish mother psyche. And I, I don't think this is, it's certainly not specific to the Jewish psyche, but I think there is a thing in, in our people and uh, people who, peoples who have experienced a lot of oppression that when it's going good, there's a tendency to be looking over your shoulder. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I can quite trust this. This might be a little too good. I, there's, yeah, we are people who for who for millennia have grown suspicious of good fortune. And I want to get back to that because I've actually seen that with Clara, this sort of tendency and with other relationships. But yeah, to be like, don't don't open up your heart to this too fully because if you do and you lose it, it will hurt more. Yeah. Yeah. That is a universal that is a universal theme for us to explore yeah opening more leads to greater vulnerability greater potential to be hurt yeah and and i expressed this to her on our last rectangle where she said she wanted to come i said part of the concern i have is that i just feel generally vulnerable right now. I don't have the same, my sense of confidence and attractiveness and desirability is not being reinforced by the world. My sense of having an exciting career. I mean, even just on a dopaminergic, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Dopaminergic, you're a psychiatrist. Dopaminergic. Dopaminergic level. Look at stand-up. I mean, I'm doing that 15 times a week under ordinary circumstances. That's pure dopamine, man. That's I'm getting true. that's a lot of laughs. How many how many laughs per act? You know, sometimes I get uh sometimes I get up to half a laugh per act if I'm really if I'm really <laughs> oh <cooking. my> God. <laughs> So we're talking 7.5 laughs a week. 7. laughs a week, man. There's that no is, way uh, I'm filling you up in that capacity. Even though I did <laughs> before we started recording, I told you I think your new mustache looks good. For those following along at home, <laughs> last episode Adam had a new goatee. It has since lost its legs and torso and become a mustache, <laughs> and I think it looks much better. But apparently, that didn't fill you up. It didn't. It wasn't quite enough, though. Clara on our our last rectangle expressed that she liked the goatee. <laughs> Go so maybe her. I shaved it in some internal, some sort of unconscious way to try to act of aggression. Like, oh, you like this goatee, bitch? It's gone. <laughs> See, I can give and I can take away. <laughs> oh, oh, you're so cruel with your goatee withholding. <laughs> but there, there is something to that sentiment. Not at all with the goatee. I do have, and I've seen it come up, this impulse to, well, not so much with Clara. I've seen it in the past, this impulse when I feel vulnerable to, um, yeah, to to act out of anger. And we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, back to, so it's, you're thinking about her coming back and I just have this, I have this image in my mind of you 
experiencing you're kind of firing on all cylinders to a degree that maybe you never have in your life yeah and, never in and the last it, since like december of la of 19 yeah yeah and yet it doesn't feel totally locked in it feels a little precarious the image i have in my mind as you talk is of a horse that's a few days old like learning how to run pretty fast and feeling its muscles but it's still a little spindly on its legs and could occasionally like lurch to one side or fall over i don't think so i think i know that feeling where it's like don't trust this this is too good to be true or it could be too good to be true but i wasn't feeling that about my life in the last few months i was feeling again don't get up by a bus i was feeling like yeah of course the universe is unpredictable but you got this buddy as right. long as you don't as long as you literally keep breathing you kind of can't fuck this up there's too many good irons in the fire and the fire yeah. is cooking at too high a temperature for you know i mean there were enough women in my life who i found beautiful and interesting that it was like well if some don't work out there'll be others and also just the, the sense that oh this is the way my life will be like from now on i've turned a corner in my personal development and my self-valuation and in my career success that yeah i'm going to yeah. be attracting this quantity and quality of women regularly and i know it's not terribly sympathetic talking about women as a quantity but that but there is a sense of like opportunities lots <laughs> that of that ship has <laughs> that ship has sailed many episodes ago for you my friend <laughs> your what do you oh, your bid your, your bid for sympathy in the no i'm just well, kidding and precisely the opposite i i i am very on stage and in life though in life maybe lags on stage yeah i always wanted to tout myself to say the things even if i'm concerned that they will upset people i think anyone so, anyone listening long enough by now recognizes that you're just a big i'm really a good person a i'm really a good good person. Person please love me <laughs> gaping beating heart just wanting to be loved yeah uh, unfortunately unfortunately but in this context yeah. well with clara both unfortunately and fortunately and so there's that but then there's also the career stuff there's like man all this stuff is happening yeah. even if opportunity a doesn't pan out i got b c and d yeah and part of that is right place right time my biggest show uh, my main show is about using psychedelics to cure ocd and clearly the psychedelic uh train is is speeding along yeah justifiably so so yeah you were in it say, before it was hip yeah yeah i've been, I've been doing the mushroom cure since uh, 2012. oh wow, long time yeah so the point being and i made this point to clara in the last rectangle is it just felt like i had so much optimism and excitement and confidence about my life and all of that has been yanked away and then they decided to roll out 5g <laughs> people were like well, <laughs> you put a little extra pangolin on this sandwich <laughs> <laughs> pangolin had to become a status symbol <laughs> as you as you explained yes my perhaps culturally insensitive breakdown of pangolin cuisine in china <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a past episode but point being i said this to clara and i voiced this as a concern that feeling like yeah if the pandemic was over and she said okay now i want to come and be with you for a while i would feel much more confident giving an unalloyed yes 
but the pandemic is still happening. Now, what is different now is when she left. So I got to San Francisco Saturday, March 14th. She left whatever that Thursday was, like March 19th. And those five days were the most intense time for where this was developing. It just felt like every hour there was, we talked about this last episode, there was something new in the news that was crazy in terms of, oh shit, this could be transmitted a lot more easily than we thought. Oh shit, there's not enough ventilators. It was, there were oh shit moments every hour where it thought like, it felt like then like there could plausibly be millions of deaths in the United States alone in the next few months. Yeah, It's horrific what's happening but it feels more stable. And the worst case scenarios, it seems like at least for now, unfortunately, outside of my hometown, New York, the worst case scenarios look like they will not be realized. So it does feel safer now than it felt then, but it still feels crazy and it still feels like my life is on hold. My life is absolutely on hold. So I expressed that concern to her and and she feels the same way. So we had this conversation and we left it that, yes, I want you to come visit. But even on that conversation, I found myself saying, like kind of putting in these caveats, like, but you know, maybe it'll just be for two or three days if it feels like it's not working. I wanted to be very clear with her and myself that we pulled the plug quickly. And it was a good conversation. You pull the plug, plug quickly if it feels like the baby is slipping down the drain again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I wanted to feel like the expectations are low in terms of how much we're committed to, to spending time with each other right now. And then when I got off the phone with her, this was a few days ago, since then I've been thinking about it and I've realized, yes, there is this, this fear of the circumstances, but there's also a general fear of her mm -hmm. because this struck me. I had not experienced an iota of pain before this recent quarantine visit. In the two and a half months or so, two months, yeah, only two months, we'd known each other prior to that. And both of her visits, there had really never been a moment of insecurity, of fear, of loss. There, let me clarify that or qualify that. There had been pain and doubt, but it had been my OCD throwing up doubts and objections about her and the relationship. Uh. So it had been my own internal battle to learn to surrender those doubts and make the choice to open my heart with those doubts. And I had felt like I was winning that battle on every visit. There would be, as we talked about previously, she would come for a visit. The doubts would flood in. I would, through prayer and meditation, I would be able to get beyond them and then it would be wonderful. It didn't feel like there was any limit other than my own mind. And it felt like I was discovering this very encouraging because I'd lacked it in the past ability and willingness to open my heart, even with my mind saying, Whoa, what are you doing there, buddy? So you, you win the battle against your own minds, constant attempts to throw up roadblocks to opening your heart and the spoils of that victory <laughs> you have the great good fortune of receiving an invitation to have your heart broken or to experience the real pain of of giving yourself to her of of letting yourself feel something it's like this yeah you get it you get a ticket to the big game sort of 
it, and I thought of it that way, actually. I thought of it like the price of admission to this ride is vulnerability. If I yeah. want to go deep, if I want to have this connection that I have at least told myself I've longed for since the last time I really fully had it, which was 17 years ago, this is, uh, this is the price you pay. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't bargain on was the really significant shift I felt from her this last visit. One of the things that was remarkable about this relationship for me was how effusive she was in her affections. There was no playing it close to the vest. There was no being coy. She was so, I want to say over the top, but it felt justified about how enamored she was with me from the beginning. And then this quarantine visit, as I related last episode, it just felt so different. It felt like she wasn't really there with me. And it started to feel like she didn't even really like me, like she wasn't even enjoying my company. I mean, she would check her phone sometimes when we were together, which doesn't sound like a capital offense, but I don't think either of us had done that once prior in all our time hanging out. It was, I was in a state during that quarantine visit of real anguish. I was, as we discussed last week, in real pain. And that's the first time I had felt pain as a result of this relationship. And the narrative I had settled on in the week and a half, you know, whatever, since she left, the narrative I had settled on as I explained at the beginning of this had shifted to, it was kind of fucked up what she did to, it was fine to actually, she did the best possible thing. Mm -hmm. But since she proposed coming back a few days ago, I've been re-examining that and feeling like, actually, I do have some legitimate concerns about the decisions she made and the way she behaved. That sounds like judgy, Mm -hmm. but I, cause I'd kind of looked at, Prior to these last few days, I had looked at it like, oh, this was all of the, this was really about me. Yeah. I really took the fact because, well, first it I was a hundred percent about, first it was totally about her. Yes. She's, <laughs> right. She, she's she, a monster. She's two-faced. She totally misled me. I mean, to be fair, you're, you're being over the top. I never yeah. thought she was the monster, no. but I did feel like she was someone who was maybe not trustworthy and selfish. Yeah. yeah. So first Which I guess, was, yeah, implies misleading. And so. Yeah. We use the term monster lightly on this. (laughs) (laughs) Not just to refer to our moms. (laughs) I think most frequently it comes up to refer to ourselves. (laughs) The the, the thoughts that arise in our heads. Um, Yeah. So first it was mostly about her. Then it was all about you. And it sounds like now you're settling out somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And the all about me part was basically oh, wow, I just have this super deep vulnerability and insecurity. When I sense any sort of distancing from a partner, I just kind of freak out. I go into an almost panic state of desperation that, oh my God, my needs are not going to be met. And I'd seen glimmers of that with past relationships we've talked about on previous episodes with Maddie, with Beth, more with Beth. But um I hadn't seen it since then because I hadn't really had any emotional chips in the game with any woman since since Beth to a significant degree. And this showed me really clearly, oh yeah, I have some work to do. Like it's my reaction was so disproportionate to the actual circumstances. And part of why I reached the conclusion that um, Clara did the best thing by leaving was feeling like I have this work to do. 
And it would be really hard to do that while I'm in quarantine with a woman. So it's mm-hmm. almost like her leaving gives us a little time out where I can now work on this stuff. Like it's actually a blessing. It's pointed out the work I need mm-hmm. to do to be in a, a healthy relationship. So that was where it had moved to. And I think I, I do have a lot of work to do. But as you said, now I'm shifting more to, yes, I do. But there are things she she did that cause concern that I feel like I need to address with her. Yeah, the place you're arriving at sounds more nuanced and mature to me, which is, you know, it's sort of a both and viewpoint. It's like, yeah, I have work to do, but also I have legitimate questions or concerns about some of the ways she behaved and I want to address those with her. It allows it allows for for a much more complex situation, which is which is ultimately the situation that I think is based in the grounds of reality, which is we're both flawed human beings here trying to figure it out. Neither of us is an angel or a devil. But and not you- so much and, and not just I mean flawed, maybe it's a semantic thing, but I, I would say damaged um damage sounds, <laughs> sounds worse than flawed uh, sca- broke scared scared irredeemably fucked up yeah. human I, yeah in my more it's just it, it i like the just the word human i that comes yeah, up with my too. own therapist a lot human to be human means to be flawed damaged broken fucked up and also beautiful and wonderful and angelic yeah what you were saying about the current situation microcosmically highlights a theme that has been very active in my life over the last you know probably throughout most of my adulthood which is i know i have work to do on myself inside in order to get to the place that i want to be before i settle down and start a family with somebody does that work need to happen on my own in isolation or does that work happen in the context of a relationship with somebody else? And it's probably both. And there have been times when I've, there have well, been times about, when what I, what is, what does both mean though? Cause you can't have both simultaneously. You mean some of this happens have on both. your own and then for, some. Yeah. I mean how I've squared it. I think for me, probably how it has gone and is going to continue to go is, periods of both periods of working on it in the context of a relationship with somebody else then a period of aloneness where i'm yeah doing a doing the work in a more monk-like isolated fashion and then i'm certainly hoping that the the final leg in this race is to wind up doing the work in relationship in a long stable loving relationship with somebody else but there certainly was a time when I was in a long relationship. The longest relationship of my life was about four years. And there came a time when I, when I needed to be in a period of, of aloneness again to, to sort of continue this work of growing. Yeah. And so that is one consideration here is precisely that. Do I need to have some more alone time to work on the issues that this situation and experience with Clara has thrown into relief. But that's not my biggest concern right now because 
ultimately what she's proposing doesn't preclude that. It could literally be her her being here for a few days. Yeah. Really what my fear is, my fear is of getting hurt. I, you know, the pandemic thing, I talked about all the things I was so excited about in my life and how all those have been yanked away for the time being. Yanked away is strong, put on hold. You know, I think I can get back to the career stuff. I think it'll be a while. I think the shifts and changes I've made that have enabled me to connect with women in a more rewarding and voluminous way uh, will still be there. <laughs> voluminous. <laughs> quantitative voluminous makes me think of like a a conditioner ad a hair conditioner (laughs) (laughs) but but i i think all of that will come back i don't think i've lost any of that ultimately i've lost some time with that but the biggest loss i feel over this quarantine is clara because we were going to have this magical experience where we'd both be living in San Francisco for three months while I had all this exciting stuff happening with my career and I'm doing shows and she has exciting stuff happening with her career and we're going to see each other a lot, but we're going to have our own lives and I'm probably going to date other people and she's is seeing other people. And it was, yeah, we were so looking forward to that and, and that's gone. So you can't decide, but you're facing a decision now. You can't decide. Do you want her to come back? Yeah, it's not that's entirely up to you. She lives here, but (laughs) (laughs) you're not. (laughs) Well, let's be specific. Come, come live with me, live where I'm living for at least a little bit. Yeah. So there's this fear of getting hurt and this fear of just feeling. I mean, man, I felt so I related it last episode. I felt like almost a little bit unhinged at times. I was going to paranoia. I was just Mm -hmm. really in a lot of distress mm-hmm. and I don't want to feel that way again. And listen, as we just said, you want to take the ride, the The ticket you have to buy is vulnerability. So I do realize that if I continue with a it, moving towards a deep relationship with Clara or anyone else, there will be times of pain and fear. Yeah. But this feels like, well, part of my fear, Jordan is this. I feel like I saw how hypersensitive I am to any perceived rejection because I felt so confident before. I felt like certainly like she liked me at least as much as I liked her. I mean, that's kind of like juvenile schoolyard terms, but (laughs) she was totally into me and I was totally into her. And this last visit, it felt like, oh, she's not really that into me. And I saw what desperation that evoked and this kind of trying to grasp or trying to win her over, I started thinking strategically, like the way you'd think if you're trying to, I mean, I'd like to think of beyond this stuff, but I wasn't suddenly. I was trying to think about what would make her more interested and trying to play it cool to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I don't want any of that shit. I don't want any of that. I want an open, honest, fully vulnerable relationship with this woman. But again, so the thing that is coming up today that hasn't come up yet is really taking a look at her and asking yourself, what's going on with this behavior? Is this working for me? Do I need to talk to her? Do I need to set a boundary? Do I need to express a need around how I need her to behave with me if I'm going to feel safe and secure in this relationship because i hear you talking about how you felt during that visit and how you're sensitive and 
we always need to keep in mind that some of what you were experiencing was an internalization of some instability that was going on for her. Some. So you're, there's two things you said. I want to address both of them. I think, first of all, yes, I want to examine and hear from her, her behavior, her choices. The second thing you said is that maybe to some extent I was internalizing what she was experiencing, maybe, but what leads me to think it's more me is I saw this same deep with Beth. It was like, it was, it was fully a go from both of our sides and the relationship was easy and just fun. And then as soon as she started pulling away, I saw this real insecurity just roaring to life. And I saw this with Clara too. And so part of my fear, uh, to, to be very clear about this, is I get into this state of being hypersensitive to the point that any perceived distancing or pulling away evokes this, <gasps> this almost panic level of fear in me. And then that makes me either grasp for them harder or try to play it cool. It, it provokes these behaviors in me that are not useful, I think. And so my yeah. fear is if, if Clara comes back, a, I'm already in a new year state because as discussed, I'm not getting attention from other women. I don't have this all this career stuff happening. So my fear is she comes back and even if she's being normal in my hypersensitized state, I'm perceiving every little thing as uh, I don't know, is she is she is she distancing herself? And that makes me needy. And it becomes, I'm sure many people have had this experience, and I've had it from both sides uh, of the equation. When one person is hypersensitive about whether the other person is distancing themselves or rejecting them in some way can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. That sort of needy behavior can push the other person away. Absolutely. I mean, man, this is embarrassing, but I, I want to share everything on this. When I even texting Clara a few days ago, I sent a text and she didn't respond for a little bit. And I started feeling, oh no, like I shouldn't have texted right now because it's late. And I probably like feeling like I had wasn't playing the game right, which is crazy. I don't want to play this game. I, I, again, I feel like I've gotten beyond it, certainly with her, but it's that level of insecurity that, I mean, in that instance, I was able to breathe into it, tell myself I was being ridiculous and letting it go. But there was that knee jerk reaction of, oh, I, I messed this up based on the timing of my text. Yeah. I want to feel secure. I want to feel like this woman is really into me. And I'm, uh, and as long as I'm myself, there's nothing to mess up. I'm just going to be myself and we're going to connect yeah. authentically. And if, as we get to know each other's true selves, we decide not to proceed, there's no loss there, but it doesn't feel like that's where I'm at. It feels like mm -hmm. I'm in this needy or will easily fall back into this state of need and insecurity. And it's, it's not good. Yeah, It's not good. So that's part of my concern. If we want to just distill it down, one concern about her coming back is that I will fall into that. The other concern, and these are not unrelated, is, yeah, I want to get more comfort and understanding of the choices she made on her last visit. And as you said, maybe set some boundaries. Yeah. There's a lot there. And we are certainly not going to unravel all of the mysteries of attachment today because <laughs> this is yeah this is a total 
attachment dance going and i know very little about attachment but i did start reading recently attached that book i think we referenced that read like i've read like 10 percent of it but it does seem like i'm probably anxious or anxious avoidant yeah yeah i think most people can have a bit of both i think most people who aren't secure and very few people are secure all of the time can manifest anxious or avoidant attachment at different times so many people tend toward one or the other i think it's very common for people to tend toward anxious that book i feel is predominantly written for people with anxious attachment is it worth you defining these terms briefly yeah yeah briefly I mean, it depends how much we do want to get into the attachment thing here, because, again, I do have a decision to make by the end of this session. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to derail you from that. Attachment attachment styles are predispositions we have to feeling and acting a certain way in relationships. They don't necessarily show up in every relationship we find ourselves in, but they are patterns that we often see ourselves going back to over and over. The insecure forms of attachment are termed anxious and avoidant. As you pointed out, the type of attachment pattern you're describing in this in these recent go-arounds with Clara is anxious attachment. The anxious person is the one who is being pulled away from, who is grasping to want to pull someone closer. And the avoidant person is the one who, when they're feeling unstable or insecure, they're more pushing away. Is that, does that feel like enough for now? Yeah, it does. And hearing you talk about that, I didn't feel like Clara was pushing away at all. It may well be that she was anxious too. And in fact, so one thing she said on a recent rectangle is she said how that first day she really didn't want to let me see how much she was hurting. And as mentioned, she has premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And so she was, she was in that state plus the whole pandemic thing. And she didn't want me to see how fragile she was, she said to me. Mm-hmm. And I think this highlights a lot of it because a lot of my insecurity, Jordan, I f- sometimes wonder if I may be somewhat on the autism spectrum. The initial impetus for this thought is a friend of mine who works with autistic people uh, said she thought I was on the aut- autism spectrum. And when she said that, and we talked a little, little bit about it, the part that clicked for me is I feel like I there's no way to know this. I can't know anyone else's experience. It's that old sophomoric thing, you know. What if you see green different than I see green? I can't <laughs> I can't know what someone else is perceiving, but my sense is that I may, may be getting less nonverbal data from interpersonal interactions than most people. It feels like I am generally unable to tell how people are feeling unless if they kind of spell it out facial expression, stuff like that. It doesn't seem like I get a lot from that. Hmm. It's interesting because the impression I have of 
listening to what was going on between you and Clara before she left was that you were exquisitely attuned and sensitive to what she was feeling. So that is a, a good alternative explanation is that maybe I am super sensitive and I've learned to kind of cut myself off from it because it can be a bit too much. Mm, I think mm -hmm. that very well could be it. Mm -hmm. That rings more true to me in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it is that. So the reason I bring this up with Clara is it wasn't so much like I felt until as the quarantine visit wore on, I did start to feel like, wow, this chick just isn't into me maybe. But early on, it wasn't feeling that. It was more in hindsight, like, wow, I don't really know how she's feeling. Past visits, I always knew how she was feeling because we were clearly just in joy with each other and enjoying each other. But I really didn't have a sense of, and I asked her more than once, how are you? And she would just kind of smile and be like, I'm okay. Or sometimes she would say, you know, I'm upset. That was what provoked her to say, we talked about this last time, I'm upset because I'm worried this is going to make our relationship more difficult. So she would sometimes share, to be fair, how she was feeling. But it just felt like, yeah, I, I, I had this confidence in the past. Confidence isn't the right word. I didn't question, gee, I wonder how Clara is feeling because it was obvious to me how she was feeling generally when, when we were together. And now it wasn't clear to me how she was feeling. Something that's coming up for me today from my own experience. I wonder if this lands with you at all. So sort of back to attachment. Everyone has the capacity to be more or less secure in their attachment style in any given moment, depending on what's going on with the person that they're involving themselves with. So a, a certain type of relationship, a certain, a certain type of other person, not like, not that anyone can be put into a box like that, but certain behaviors in another person will bring Except out for the Irish. You can't, you can't psychoanalyze them. <laughs> can't be analyzed. This came up last episode, by the way, for people who are like, wow, where did this, <laughs> where did this turn come from? <laughs> it's a callback. It's the term we use in comedy. <laughs> Is that the token? Yeah. We're, we're doing a callback. It's an advanced comedic technique. <laughs> it's not racism. Um, it's comedy. <laughs> For me, and this is, you know, we'll get further into this someday when we finally make our way to Momsville. For me, there are certain types of women. There, are, I notice that I get much more clingy and insecure with certain women that I've dated, where when I find myself talking to them or dating them, it's really exciting. It feels I'm immediately like interested and sort of on and performing and trying to win their approval. But I've, I feel much more insecure and anxious mm -hmm. and find myself like you were saying, like strategizing, going into these old, these old patterns that feel very middle schooly. Yeah. 
that feel very and, and post middle schooly. I mean, these are patterns. Yeah. College. I mean, yeah. Till relatively recently, where I, for me at least, no, totally, totally, me too. And it's taken. And my default when I'm in a situation like that is to say, what's wrong with me? Why are you acting this way? Why can't you just be cool with this woman? Why can't you get her to like you? Or why can't, or if I'm being avoidant, which is often my go-to, why can't you just like her? And my therapist really helped me get some understanding around this. And uh, yeah, this was not long ago. Realizing that there are certain women who for me, are while i'm attracted dating them is actually and and while they may be the first person my eyes go to when i walk into the party that might be an older childlike program in my brain coming on board and ultimately dating those women might not be in my best interest because we might just be like trying to put two of the same poles of a magnet together or something. Does any of that, is any of that coming through? Yes, but I want to understand, can you give example? Is it because these women possess certain qualities or communication styles or is it because? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me try to get more. So I think one of it is women who don't treat me that well. Mm -hmm. Women who don't, who aren't, as supportive of me there are some women where that are that will cut me down a little bit i don't want to say treat me badly because i i certainly don't hang out with anyone who is you know grossly disrespectful or anything like that but there i've i've noticed myself uh in recent years here or there going on dates with women who might just to not be super supportive, kind of cut me down a little bit. And it scratches and and brings back to life these really old wounds. And the impulse is to want to attach to those women so that I can, you know, change their mind, fix them, fix the situation, have a different outcome this time. And, you know, at some point my therapist helped me realize that playing that game, playing that old game, trying to master that situation. I just didn't need that. Like I just didn't, I just didn't fucking need it. Like I've gotten much better now that when I find myself having that feeling towards someone I'm dating, um, with that clinging and anxiety and, that rather than trying to fix the situation, fix them, fix myself so that they'll like me, I, I'm much more likely now to just be like, mm, uh, this doesn't feel good. I'm out of here. That's not to say that when a, when friction arises in a relationship, you cut and run because that's a sure path to being alone for your whole life. Obviously, love means getting hurt, opening your, up yourself to disappointment and stuff. But there are some relationships the classic example, you know, being someone who had a alcoholic or drug addicted parent, then finding themselves in a string of relationships with someone who is also alcoholic, drug addicted, abusive or whatever. And from the outside, you ask 
why would you be doing that? It's because the inner child is trying to have trying to enter that same situation again and change it. Like we talked about control mastery theory a long time ago. And so it's, it's gotten a lot easier for me to just kind of, to just kind of walk away from those situations when they're, when they're showing that pattern. Yeah. And, and me too. And I don't think I'd never felt that from Clara, certainly. Yeah. And I, I just say in terms of what you're outlining there, I, it's interesting that you connect it to like parental relationships and I'm not saying that's not valid, but to me, I've always seen it as just a fun, the fundamental human trait of wanting to, if something seems difficult or, um, hard to get, then we, we want it wanting to win people over. I mean, cause I certainly, I certainly see that and I've gotten a lot better but I mean, well, as a comic, I think you have to have more than an average dose of that to want to win audiences <laughs> over 15 yeah. times a week. Yeah. But I, I've seen that tendency in myself, not just with women, but with men, even with family members. I've gotten a lot better, but for a long time, I would be, uh, it took me a long time to see that if someone was kind of not super friendly to me, not yeah. hostile, but just not super friendly to me, let's say... I'll use the example of Burning Man. You know, I'm in a camp. There's a lot of people. Most people I know, most people are really friendly, but there's a few people who aren't that friendly. They're not unfriendly. They just don't seem particularly um, excited about me. And I will fixate on those people. Yeah. And how can I win them over? Yeah. And it's only been in the last year or two that I've really been able to see that and just kind of let it go and just be like, all right, well, you know what? A, I don't even know what this person actually thinks about me. But B, there's no real profit in winning them over. What's going to happen? They'll, they'll be like, you know, Adam, I was wrong. I should have been extra friendly to you from the beginning. What am I hoping for there? <laughs> and perhaps yeah. that does connect to my own attachment style. I'm a little leery of going too far down this road because there is, I do have to make specific decisions about Clara. And it feels to me like attachment style is probably pretty integral to some of what I was feeling there. Yeah, I think I think my purpose in bringing any of this stuff up is just to yeah is to reinforce the process that seems to have already started with you, which is taking a sober look at her as a real person, not as someone who's horrible, and not as someone who is a savior and the answer to all your problems, but taking a look at her recent behavior and being like, how was that working for me? How did that feel for me is, do I need something to change if I'm going to continue being in a relationship with her? And I want to really emphasize though, I really was not looking her at her as a savior in the past. I have looked at relationships that way, but one of the things that felt so fresh about this and so just healthy yeah. was, as I said earlier, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm you're... really excited about this woman, but if it doesn't work out, it was really the way I looked at it. And I, I hate these. Well, this will be in our coffee table book too, was <laughs> if it's meant to be, it'll be, I don't have to worry <laughs> about making this work out or hoping it works out. All I yeah, have to be is show right. up as myself and totally. So yeah, really you had, been, you had been in that place recently. Yeah. But I think the shift that you're, you're articulating, I'd phrase it a little differently, was there are these this polarities from, you know, this is someone who 
really what she did on this quarantine visit was totally understandable and really not a concern. It was all just reflecting my own insecurities that was problematic to the the flip side being like, oh yeah, she is, you know, she did some really fucked up stuff and now I am landing in the middle yeah. on that. But the again, the two concerns I have now is let's say I had no concerns about Clara specifically. I was sure she would be the way she's been on past visits, loving and effusive. I still feel like now that this, as you said, this wound has been scratched, this insecure thing has kicked in for me. I'm worried that even if she's really effusive, I'm still going to be feeling insecure. And in that insecurity, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to drive her away. So that's let's identify that as an underlying fear that somehow I'm going to fuck it up or drive her away. That fear was not present until this last visit. And mm -hmm. I'm afraid that fear will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, yeah, I do want to unpack some of the things she did. So I want to make sure in this session slash episode, we, we get to both of those because I think that will inform how I ultimately choose to approach my conversation with her tonight. Okay. So number one, I'm afraid I'll fuck it up and drive her away. Number two, we've been talking about, yeah, yeah we, we've been talking about number one. I don't know if there's more to go there. I mean, there's clearly much more to cover there, but for today, I don't know other than to note that yes, this real anxious attachment style surfaced yeah. and didn't feel good. Yeah. Didn't feel good. And, and I'm not confident that, that, that I can keep it at bay or work with it if it does come up again. So to what extent have you talked about that with her? I have not talked about that. Um, well, I haven't used these terms, but I certainly did say to her on a recent rectangle, I said something like, you know, this has showed me this rectangle was when I was more in the terrain of, oh, this is all about me. She was fine. I said, yeah, one of the good things that came from this is just showing me how insecure I am. Mm -hmm. I did say that, and that felt like a pretty yeah. vulnerable admission. But again, we've always made very vulnerable admissions to each other, and I don't want to get away from that. Yeah. Right. That's, that's vulnerable, but there's another side of that that you need to share with her. And she said, by the way, she said, me too. I think certainly a possible narrative of what's happening here is we're kind of, she's the mirror image of me. I think her comment about how she didn't want to show me how fragile she is implies that she was afraid of fucking it up and driving me away. Sure. Yeah. I mean, how many times have I been in the situation where I was in my own world with all these thoughts and worries about what was going on in a relationship, not talking about it. And then you have a conversation, you realize you were both feeling the same way simultaneously or complementary ways simultaneously. And you just kind of put it out on the table and it melts away. It's yeah. And, and I am optimistic that it, it, it could be that, but I don't know my perception of the last visit was I was the one who was, she was pulling away from me. And I think that's yeah. accurate. I think I was regularly trying to reach out to her, to connect to her. So it felt like she was the one who was putting up the wall and that kicked in the anxious attachment thing in me. Yeah, But what, yeah. So, so absolutely to, to, to put a point on this, I will say this to her today. I think it's essential to, to say this to her today. Yeah. Yeah something to the effect of i felt subscribe, really thrown subscribe to our podcast that's all i have to say <laughs> so, so. and leave us a review on itunes why <laughs> <laughs> 
like, honey, I just had a really <laughs> exhausting session. I can't talk right now. I'm just going to need you to subscribe. <laughs> We gotta put we gotta put some stuff behind the paywall too. To, <laughs> if you really want to know how I feel about you, sweetheart, you're gonna need to access our premium content. It's a subscription model. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, something to the effect of, "Hey, I felt really thrown by the fact that I felt really thrown by the." way in which I was sensing a lot of excitement from you and you were reassuring me all the time how much you were into me. And then it felt to me like that wasn't their last visit. And I found myself really missing it and really confused about how you felt toward me. And I think I can go further and say this kicked in this, this sort of fear response where I found myself wanting to win you over on one hand or on the other hand, wanting to be like, fuck this and just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like being really vulnerable and acknowledging that response that you had, but also letting her know that it had something to do with her behavior and that it would be really helpful for you in the future if she was behaving differently or if she was able to communicate with you if she was going to be behaving that way just that it would be nice if it could go differently in the future so you're not like forcing her because i think a a really key principle of nonviolent communication fuck you (laughs) (laughs) every time you say nonviolent communication (laughs) that's our little fuck you jordan the whole button fuck (laughs) you um yeah, a key principle of communication around these things is you don't make anyone else responsible for your feelings or your behaviors. You don't say you made me feel this way. You don't say you made me do this because no one responds well when they're told that they made someone else do something. Except what you say, the Irish. <laughs> what you say, if you want to be met with success, in my opinion, at least, in the opinion of Marshall Rosenberg, the author of Nonviolent Communication, is, hey, you did this thing. And that's just a fact. So you don't, you say a, a, a statement that can't be refuted. Like you behaved this way in this way, at least as I perceived it. I had this response to that. It would be a really wonderful gift to me if in the future it could go differently. And one thing you could do to help that go differently is X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Well, and I think I can, I like that. Also, I want to give you credit. Don't quit your day job. Because <laughs> at the end of our last session slash episode, you said something. You said I was talking about that night where right after I'd had this big cathartic cry with her and I was clearly very vulnerable, she announced that she was going for a run with Jason, another former lover who she's now recently reconnected with. Jason. And and I talked about how upset I was about that. Yeah. And you said something like, Yeah, how dare she not read your mind? Meaning that I was upset because she didn't understand how I was feeling. And I pushed back on that because my view was, well, she might not have known exactly how I I was feeling, but she clearly knew I was upset about that and she did it anyway. But I was thinking about it after our last session. And yeah, why? I don't know if I was upset at her that she didn't totally intuit how I was feeling, but why didn't I in that moment? Why didn't I say to her when she was going to go for a run with Jason? Why didn't I say, hey, given everything that we've been through the last few days and today, this is making me feel quite insecure. 
mm-hmm. and and fairly needy right now. Why didn't I say that? I'm comfortable saying that right now in this podcast. And I think the answer is because in that place of vulnerability, my anxious reaction was to try to protect and not be more vulnerable and not express. But the the broad point I'm making here is I think she can, commu- she can communicate more clearly and effectively, but I can as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-way street, for sure. Yeah. I guess what I'm yeah. saying is not a revelation. I was not flawless. <laughs> what, Adam? <laughs> no, no. We'll, we'll have to edit this part of yeah. the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the part, the part no one will buy it. <laughs> no, wait, Adam didn't, didn't, didn't behave perfectly in a situation? <laughs> Yeah, I would I would even add to that like insecure or needy in that statement. That's still kind of pejorative. That's still mm-hmm. a little a little pejorative toward yourself. You were hurt. You yeah. had this big big vulnerable moment. You cried in each other's arms after you made love or before you made love. <laughs> One of the one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> and then she went for a fucking run with Jason. And you were hurt. Because that was fucking shitty. And so when I was when I got myself to the place of everything she did is fine, the way I justified that was she has a strong connection with this guy. She's not going to see him for months. It wasn't like she was going to go bang him. They were going for a run. And also I felt like at that point she maybe was going to get something from him in terms of some sense of security or safety that she wasn't getting from me. And she was clearly in a, a, a vulnerable place too. And so she reached out for that. And also that she probably didn't realize how significant it seemed to me because yeah. she had gone for a run with Jason a few days earlier and I'd offered no protest or concern. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think I'm being a little dramatic in some of my, um, in some of my criticisms, I don't even think that's the right word, but so yeah, some of my criticisms of Claire today, just because I'm, I'm wanting to push that side of the story, but I feel like I'll look back on this episode and be like, oh man, you were, you're really trying to get Adam to bring the, bring the skeptical lens. Um, especially when I finally meet her someday, it'll be even more. <laughs> oh, the woman I've been bad mouthing on a podcast. Congratulations on your wedding. Right. <laughs> but to be fair, it did feel like a shitty thing at the time. And then it felt like we reached a point of understanding later in that yeah. visit. But that has been one of the concerns that's resurfaced around Jason. She has, as I mentioned, another lover who she's been with for over a year who seems like a really significant connection. Jason is sort of an old flame who's now back in the picture just very recently. He's married. It's an open marriage, but clearly there's limits to that relationship in terms of how far it could go between him and Clara. But there is, I guess I am more threatened by that relationship just perhaps because it did feel like in that moment, like she was choosing him over me. And that's something that I would say to her is that it felt in that moment like you were choosing him over me. And also it reinforced this idea that, oh, she just isn't really enjoying being around me that much right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys can talk about that. And it turns out it took it took me a long time and I'm still not totally there to realize that like 
in a relationship fights happen and people make mistakes and hurt each other and that's okay and you can get over it and move forward yeah i'm and the reason i say yeah in that tone is well let me give a little bit more context to what i'm feeling so I was generally feeling some trepidation, but like, yeah, I, you know, of course I want her to come at least for a few days. And then late last night, I started feeling almost mourning in my, in my heart, almost a feeling of loss. Hmm. And I actually woke up in the middle of the night last night, really feeling it, my heart just kind of aching. And I don't think it's the morning of I'm mourning this relationship like it's necessarily over. It may, it may just be what I'm mourning is the fact that we're not going to have this easy, fun experience we thought we were going we were going to have pre-COVID nineteen. Yeah. But in this moment, right now, I'm feeling anxiety, and out of that, there is a, an impulse to say, "Just walk away, man. Just walk away," because the truth is, Jordan, these last couple of weeks since she left. I've been pretty comfortable and happy here. Yeah. And the truth is before this most recent visit, I mean, the pain I was in with her, it wasn't excruciating, but because I haven't been in many intimate relationships like that in recent years, I hadn't felt that sort of pain and vulnerability in years. Yeah. And the concerns. Yeah. And again, I get concerned about this sort of vicious cycle where I'm insecure. If I even perceive her taking, stepping away an inch again, this yeah. came up with a text with the timing of a text recently. Like that's, that doesn't seem to bode well unless if, unless if she's different or I'm different. I mean, I, so that's part of this is I'm feeling like, wow, maybe I really have this deep anxious attachment style that is going to interfere with any relationship I have until I do some work around it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. Maybe trying to work through it while she's here is like trying to, you know, change the tire on a car that you're driving. <laughs> you need to pull off the road to change the tire. Yes. But life is also not a dress rehearsal. Right. <laughs> you feel strongly about this woman. Yes. And I you do. Know, you don't want to be like you don't want to be 75 years old. <laughs> okay, I'm there. I finally, I, finally. I, did enough, I did enough ayahuasca. It's kind of like that joke I've heard you tell. Of like They say they say that uh, a strong ayahuasca ceremony is equivalent to six months of meditation. So I've, I've now meditated. Like, <laughs> right. I say one, one, one night of ayahuasca is 10 years of therapy. So I've had 160 years of therapy. Why am I still a fucking mess? This is yeah. bullshit. I want a refund. Yeah. It's like life's not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. And living fully, living open-heartedly means, means being vulnerable to getting hurt. And yet we do want to be judicious in, de in deciding. We don't want to be indiscriminate and say, I'm just right. going to walk around with my heart hanging out with everyone I run into on the street. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. And like I was saying, um, with my own example, there are some women that I feel a strong inclination to make it work with, to win their approval. When in reality, that is, that is just, me scratching at an old wound unnecessarily trying to fix something that already happened in the past, trying to get a hit of that old good stuff that I just don't need anymore. 
Yeah. It's yeah, like and, yeah, someone who had an alcoholic father going back over and over and over, dating one abusive alcoholic after the next. At some point, you got to say, yeah, no, I know that, li- that living openly means getting hurt, but also like maybe the next, maybe you should try to have a relationship with someone who's <laughs> who's not like that. Yeah. Not saying that that's, I don't know. We don't, what I'm ultimately coming to with Clara is that I just think we don't know yet. There's not enough data points. Yes. And that's why this conversation will be invaluable, I hope, because I don't know. What I do know is all this stuff, all these concerns I'm expressing now did not exist in any way, shape, or form before this quarantine visit. And so that seems like, okay, these are extraordinary circumstances. Give her the benefit of the doubt, but by the same token, unpack what happened. And so what I want to unpack, also another thing was soon after she left, part of my concern was the way she left. So originally we're going to be quarantining together indefinitely. Then it's, I'm going to leave Friday. And then it's actually on Thursday. She's like, actually, I I think I'm going to leave today. And then she did leave that night. Yeah. And the concern is it just didn't seem like I was a factor at all in that. And when I was in the space of, oh, she, what she did was wrong. I was really getting into this, like, well, I would have done it differently. You know, like I wouldn't have done it that way. But then as I got more distance, I had to come, I had to come to the reality that actually, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't know. These are such unprecedented circumstances. And I certainly, in a broad sense, can relate to feeling scared and wanting to flee to a place literally or metaphorically, and in this case with her, probably both for her, a place that feels safe, which for her was her parents' house. Of course. Yeah. So it doesn't feel, I'm totally, and and as I related, ultimately, I think she did the right thing. So her leaving early is not problematic. But what I do still have a little bit of concern about is like she didn't ask me. I don't think she asked me even once, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay here? Are you going to go back to New York? Are you going to go to your parents? I might have volunteered some information, so maybe that's why she didn't ask, but it just, my sense was that it didn't seem like it was really a factor for her that I had flown across the country solely to be with her and now she was leaving and maybe it shouldn't have been a factor maybe she needed to take care of herself and the one thing i can say with confidence is i would have at least given it more lip service which doesn't count for much but i would have at least said things like hey i feel really bad that you flew across the country and now i'm leaving are you sure it's okay do you feel okay about this if i'm being honest i don't think i would have done other than what felt right to me in that moment, but I think I would have expressed more concern about it. I don't know what that's worth. I think lip service is worth a lot there. You have been opening yourself up to this person. You made this big step of flying across the country and you want to know that they are thinking about you and caring for you even while making this decision. That's totally normal. Thank you for that. That's yeah. the best therapy you've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say, I want to, this has been very valuable to me, but what you just said right there is a great example of something that, yeah, 
that one sentence just changed my perspective. You're right. Of course. Yeah. You have, it, there's it a ton for a lot. There is a tendency. I'm noticing a tendency, especially in this session to kind of squash down your own needs to try to downplay your own needs. And yeah, that's, you know, that's not setting yourself up for success. Any relationship where you are not in touch with and owning your own needs and desires, not going to leave you feeling good. That doesn't mean she has to meet them. I think we both agree that she did. She didn't do a bad thing or she, she did what she needed to do and you were fully supportive of that, but that doesn't mean you can't have emotional needs and express those to her and ask that they be met. You're right. And I have a lot of those. I mean, I, I think, yeah, looking at, at these needs as this sort of pathological anxious attachment, not to say that there's not some anxious attachment, but that's kind of, that's not honoring, that's not honoring them because of course there, there is a deep need to know that I'm valued and appreciated by women whom I'm in intimate, vulnerable relationships with. Yeah, and there's a need to have consistency in that experience. There's a need to not one moment be getting this really gushing affection and reassurance and then the next moment to be feeling like you're pretty left out in the cold. Obviously, there are ups and downs and good moments and bad moments in relationship for sure, but we all have a need for some consistency and it sounds like that need wasn't being met for you in in this period of time. Yeah. One of the, so well, I want to back up a little bit and because this will connect to the present question. So we met in New York in January. She, she left, you know, we had a few days together, really intense, really wonderful days. She left and I knew that she was, in an open relationship with this other guy, not Jason, this other guy who she loves and has been with for a while. And that didn't bother me because the way she explained open relationships actually made a lot of sense. And I'd always been open to open relationships, but I'd never really, I haven't explored it much in my own life. And the way she explained it really, she seemed to have a lot of sophistication around it. And it's, she, she put a lot of thought into it and it seemed like, yeah, this is the right thing for you, Clara. And actually it may be the right thing for me. So I had no concern about that. And actually it probably helped me open up to her because one of the things the OCD does is it tells you, oh wait, you don't want to commit to this person because what if there's someone better out there? But if it's an open relationship, it's like, well, sure. You can love this person, but you're not foreclosing other options. But to our point now, so her first visit, but when she left, I, I had a thought. I was like, yeah, I'm fine with her being in an open relationship. But what I want to know is, does that impose limits on our relationship? Mm-hmm. She had told me that her open relationship was non-hierarchical. It wasn't like this other guy was her primary partner and anyone anyone else would be a secondary partner. Uh But I wanted to get more specific around that. Really, what I wanted to know is, is there a limit to how deep this can go, how far we can go with this? Mm -hmm. Whether it's practical, like, oh, I can't go on vacation with you, or whether it's how far we're going to open each other's hearts. Mm -hmm. 
And so the question I asked her on our first rectangle after she left New York the first time was, are there limits here on your end? Hmm. And she said, no. And it was a really beautiful moment. And I looked hmm. into myself and I was like, yeah, there aren't for me too. And I want to, and this quarantine visit was the first time where it felt like there were hard limits in terms of her letting me in. And so this is a question I want to ask her tonight is, are there limits? Have things changed for whatever reason in any way? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it's, if there are limits, it's not necessarily a no for me, but I want to know what those are because what I want, Jordan, is I want, and I don't know if I can do this right now, but I want to open my heart the way I was opening my heart before, mm -hmm. which I would say was pretty fearless, mm -hmm. but that's not exactly the right term because fearless to me implies you have fear, but you're doing it anyway. I didn't even really have fear before. I didn't really feel yeah. much vulnerability before because of all the reasons we've discussed. So now I've gotten my first taste of Clara fear and it was a pretty hefty dose. And so to can open my heart the way I was before I want, I, yeah, I think that's what a lot of this conversation will come down to is I want to see if it feels safe for me to open my heart. If I want to be willing to open my heart the way yeah. I was before. Yeah. And tying it back into the current situation, it's like you were firing on all cylinders before things were going so well. And then coronavirus came and a lot of those sources of mojo have been, <laughs> you know, have been cut off, hopefully just temporarily. And so the question is, can you still keep your heart open? even from this place of a little more fear, a little more vulnerability, a little more uncertainty. I think that's probably a question that lots of people in the world are asking right now. Yeah. And specifically with her after seeing that I can be hurt, which of course yeah. is not a revelation, but and <laughs> feel, well, what is a revelation is feeling it. I'd forgotten how much it yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah. That feeling of anxiety and heartbreak all mingled together. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you've been doing really well recently. And so, the, and the universe decided you were ready for your next test. It's like, Oh, you think, Oh, it's going great for you. Oh, you're <laughs> opening your heart. Oh, great. Okay. All right. Time for a new challenge. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if you can still do it after getting hurt and living in the midst of a global pandemic. And it feels to me generally like this relationship, if we're going to keep going for it, I mean, of course, what I want, I want to go for it unreservedly. I'm not saying I wouldn't be willing to do something less than that, but I don't know if I would be. That's this. I haven't felt a clear yes like this. in again, probably more than a decade. Yeah. And that yes was partially predicated on it being such a strong yes from her. Yeah. And so I want it to be that. I want it to be that. Yes. And I think one thing I've learned from this experience of this last visit is we need to have just real complete honesty and transparency. Yeah. I want to respond to something you were just saying, because what I heard you say is that your heart was wide open and part of that was predicated on her heart being wide open. What came to mind as you were saying that? something that Ram Dass said in a talk once and 
Ramdas, I've brought up a number of times already on the show, recently deceased spiritual teacher. Really, he didn't he didn't consider himself anyone's guru, and I wouldn't. But if I were to consider myself as having a guru, it would be Ramdas. I just oh really just yeah. love the guy. Yeah, yeah, just love the guy. But this thing Ramdas said in a talk, it must have been in the seventies or eighties or something. Um, he talked about love as a hot tub. And he said that when we fall in love, we fi- all of a sudden we find ourselves in this beautiful, warm hot tub. I'm like, oh, it's so great. And we think that the other person, we think that being in the hot tub is predicated on the presence of that person, the object of our love. And we think that if that person leaves us or dies or something, that we are kicked out of the hot tub. And Ramdas says, that's an illusion. The hot tub of love is available to us at all times, whether in good times or bad, whether we have a partner or we don't have a partner. And I think it's very common that feeling that our, that our living from a place of open-hearted love is dependent on the presence of another person. And I think that that is an illusion, not an easy illusion to pierce through, but we can live from a place of open love. We can be in love all of the time, regardless of whether there's another person there. And the unsurprising truth is that you are much more likely to find yourself in love with another person when you were living in love to begin with on your own. You know, that's like another kind of huh, coffee table yeah. in, Instagram, Instagram me- memeable spiritual bromide is like manifest the love you want by already being in love. But it's, I think there's a lot to that. And, and you so brought up I, in a, a recent one that at this point with me where it felt like everything was coming together in my life and I just had so much joy and vitality in my life and suddenly all these women are coming in. Suddenly all these women are coming in. Yeah, so I think now the task for you is, can you keep that mojo flowing? Can you stay in that place of confidence and love, even though circumstances have changed? The rug has Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's save us all but some also, time. <laughs> but that's, a, yeah, but, but because. Not but unless because, I have a lot of ayahuasca. Right. <laughs> Because as I say that, I'm also aware of how there's sort of this like spiritual bullying going on right now in in the world and perhaps in our relationship where it's like coronavirus is a test. Like right. open your open your heart, like use this as a chance but to not your airways. Pure but not your airways. And it's like when you were talking about waking up last night with that feeling of mourning, <laughs> the thought that went through my head was like Oh, did Adam just realize last night that coronavirus sucks? Because <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. And it we fucking to, sucks, man. It fucking it's, sucks. Let's on we, the record, I, we're, we're taking a bold stance here at Not Therapy Incorporated. We are <laughs> not at all on board with coronavirus. We are anti-coronavirus. Even though- let's be clear, the, no, the novel coronavirus, the old school coronavirus, <laughs> Viri. Some of them are okay, but this novel, newfangled coronavirus, this fucking millennial coronavirus. Yeah, we are firmly anti-coronavirus. It sucks. It's a brave stance to take. (laughs) Not many people are calling it out. 
There's no point in us doing We're also this against button. racism, sexism. Uh, I know we're losing subscribers every one of these we say, but we're, we got to call it like we see it. Oh, man. We're never we going to get even think Irish can be analyzed. <laughs> we think the Irish are fully analyzable. We are never going to get on Rogan if we keep saying controversial <laughs> shit like this. <laughs> Yeah, so we have to make space for both, for just accepting this mourning, the sadness of the current situation and how it has totally thrown this beautiful budding relationship that you and Clara had. I don't want to say off the rails, but it's thrown a, a mean hanging curveball at you that yeah, you didn't feel a like different rail. With. A different yeah. rail. Hopefully not the third rail. <laughs> not nearly as well lubricated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that sucks. That just sucks. And it's an opportunity for growth. Um, this, uh, the, the book, the ethical slut, which I've brought up in, cause it's a book about open relationships and polyamory. I think you should read it, but there's this one line that I think is, can, is universally applicable that I remember from it. The author is interviewing a friend of hers and she's talking about the feeling of, horrible jealousy that she gets when her partner meets a new lover so the, the feeling she might have in her heart when she's sitting at home watching netflix trying to distract herself while her her lover is out on a hot new a hot date with a new person and um she says this uh, acronym to herself afog a fog and it stands for another fucking opportunity for growth it's like <laughs> god damn it right i really did not want another opportunity for growth but fuck here it is (laughs) i just i've always really loved that that reminds me rick doblin uh maps this is actually the most recent burning man i had a a challenging night one night a challenging night it was (laughs) was humbling it was humbling socially in every way i'll just leave it at that And I saw Rick back at camp at the end of the night and we were talking. I was like, yeah, this was just a very, very humbling night. Just a lot of humility. And he said, well, there's always more where that came from. (laughs) (laughs) You're never at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were talking about that the other day, the feeling, one of my favorite feelings in the world is lying around in the circle after an ayahuasca ceremony down in the jungle, the candles burning and you've just gotten totally rocked. Like you just, you just got what the fuck was that? You just had one of the most painful experiences of your life. And yet the medicine's wearing off. You're coming back to yourself. You're eating an apple. You're finally not nauseous anymore. And you're just lying there with your friends and it, and just like, reveling and how fucking shitty that was and it's it's a sublimely pleasurable feeling to just connect around that man that sucked for you sucked for me yeah. i could tell it was sucking for you based on the way you were breathing <laughs> the person next to you in the maloka you're like oh man i'm glad i'm not that guy and then 20 minutes later you're like oh yeah. <laughs> that, that fucking schmuck over there man what an asshole. screaming and then up oh, my turn <laughs> yep i'm dying <laughs> i do though it, to, to your spiritual bullying though i want to say this yes 
we can always do love. I believe that, and I see evidence of that in my own life. And my my last not not therapist, my actual therapist, <laughs> a really brilliant, compassionate guy named Michael Feminella. He's based in New York. He would say, you know, I would say for me, it's just when these years when it felt like I just can't love or I'm not finding anyone to love. And he would say, but Adam, you are still doing love through your work. That is a form of doing love, getting on stage and really sharing your heart and your soul. And so I do feel like I do love in that way. Very close with my family. Do a lot of love with them. My friends with you, Jordan, uh, I love you. There's, I love you too, man. Yeah. So there is love in my life. Yeah. And I don't take it for granted. And that love can always be deepened. Yeah. But it does feel like there is a special species of love that comes from, if you're heterosexual, you know, from the pair bond. It doesn't have to be an exclusive pair bond, but for going deep in the context of a sexual relationship. To be, to, feels- just, just to correct, just for the record, Adam also believes that gay people can have love too. <laughs> yes, I, I I don't know if I phrased that right. You just I, like, I, I was... like there is this kind of love that happens for heterosexual people in <laughs> <I> pair bonds. <laughs> Cuz what I was going to say is between a man and a woman and then I wanted to clarify or a man and a man or a woman forgot, and a woman. Right? You, forgot to add, you forgot to add that part so you just talked about how only straight people can love <laughs> between two humans. <laughs> Of any sexual orientation, as long as they're not Irish, you can have a deep. No, so it does feel like I think the defining characteristic that I'm pulling out there or, or, or highlighting is is sex. There is a type of love that can come in the context of sex that seems unique. It doesn't have to be deeper, but it Absolutely. is deep. And so I have felt for recent years that, yes, I get love for my friendships, I get love for my work, I get love for my family, but I've been lacking this love yeah. from a sexual relationship. Yeah. And it so I do feel like the hot tub, yes, the hot tub is there, I guess is what I'd say, Jordan, but I feel yeah. like maybe you can't go into the deep part of the hot tub alone, or maybe you can, but it's it's like one of these things like, yeah, in theory you can, but it's a lot yeah. harder to wait into that deep end alone. For all intents and purposes, it feels to me like the range of the hot tub is limited if I'm in there splashing around alone. Though love, yeah. I do believe, is infinite and not a zero-sum game. So you can always yeah. go further and deeper even if you're alone. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. The love that you can feel with a romantic partner is uniquely deeper, and that's why it's uniquely terrifying. Yeah. I don't know if it, it seems like maybe the deepest is parent child from talking to people who have kids and that can be more terrifying. I've certainly had friends yeah. who, be like, who have, like, you think this is vulnerability. Wait, do you have a little person you can't control at all who means the yeah. world to you? Yeah. We should, uh, yeah. we'll have to have one. We'll have to have a breeder on the podcast. At some point. <laughs> <laughs> to get their perspective on that. Yeah. So sure. This is another fucking opportunity for growth. No question. Yeah, and I guess, of course, I, I'm hoping for some sort of grand conclusion that will make me feel safe and secure, like this is the way to play this situation. But really, all it is is have a conversation. And, and yeah. so to summarize for myself, I think the I want to get more clarity. I want to express how I felt that she left early. 
I want to express the vulnerability I felt. I want to own the fact that I wasn't able or willing to fully express that when she was there. Yeah. I want to pledge if we're going to continue that from my end, and I hope from her end, that we really will go for this radical honesty. If we're having concerns or doubts about the relationship, about how things are unfolding, express them fully. And I want to express my fears about, I feel like this insecurity might be fairly easily triggered if you come back right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful conclusion for the episode today, that the thing you need to do is talk to her and open your mouth and step into the unknown, step into vulnerability and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my heart does want to say yes to this. That That's clear. And so Beautiful. I think I just want to make it feel a little bit more secure in that. Well, good. Looks like there's going to be no shortage of material. <laughs> well, that is the other thing is I was like, well, if she comes, it definitely enriches the podcast. Like we will start to run low on material if it's like, Yet again, I'm just <laughs> coronavirus still sucks. Yeah, still sucks. So, all right, man. Well, I I really appreciate this. I always appreciate it, but uh, but especially in this place of more specific vulnerability and uncertainty, I appreciate you uh, sharing your perspective and helping me see some new ways of approaching this. Absolutely, man. It feeds me too. All right. Well. Uh, next time, I guess I'll tell you how tonight goes. I look forward to it. All right. Have a good one, Jordan. Thanks. You too, man. Bye.